And welcome to Oikos. How are y'all doing? Ohio State fans, you're absolutely perfect, aren't you? It's a good thing you weren't here last week. <laughs> All right, so I know that's an inside Nebraska joke, but anyways, it's not really a joke. It's really just heart destroying. So anyways, we're not talking about football today because I promised many people that I wouldn't talk about football, but it was crazy yesterday. And life can get crazy. And so we only have a couple weeks left in John, so we won't get all the way through the book of John before we jump into what we call the season of Advent. And as we go into the season of Advent, we're going to be hitting really scriptures that point to the coming Messiah. So we're going to be hitting some of those traditional passages over about four weeks. We're also going to be doing something that is led by some of our leaders here at Oikos, who will be doing some Advent services. Now, that's something new that we haven't done in the past. It doesn't mean that we're suspending MCs or anything like that. It just means we're adding one thing, and it will be here on, in campus on Wednesday evenings. We'll have more details in the next coming, coming weeks so that you can come and um, you can come as your family, or you can just come after work by yourself, or you can meet here and have some devotion and time of reflecting that Jesus did come for us, that he did come in the flesh, that he really did live here with us, and he really did die and rise again. And so as we reflect in Advent, I hope it would be a season where we're able to dig into God's word a little bit more as a family, that we're able to come together and pray a little bit more as a family. And that we can have the Lord reflect on our hearts so as we go about our business during the Christmas season, people can see Jesus in us. So John, we're in John, and we're going to be looking at a story today that's pretty well known. It's John chapter 13, so if you want to turn your Bibles to it, we're going to look at this story. It's Jesus washing the feet. And we're going to be looking at what does this mean for us today and what was Jesus speaking to his disciples? What was he trying to get across to them as they went up to that upper room? So John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved him to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. 
Simon Peter exclaimed, and washed my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. It's a great story. It's a story that we read, and often we read it right before Easter. It's usually during the season of Lent that we read through this story. Monday, Thursday is the day that we appropriate the story because right after this, he goes into the Lord's Supper. Here at Oikos, we have a tradition that during the Lord's Supper, we do First Communion or for children or really adults, anyone who wants to learn more about what the Lord's Supper is about and they want to celebrate the learning of what God has done for us through the ministry of Jesus, we celebrate this time called First Communion. And so we do this in the Seder meal. And so as we do the Seder meal, we also do a foot washing. And what I have always seen is that people are real hesitant to get their feet washed. Have you seen that too? And so I always begin, and this is where I think that um, scripture passage about the child will lead them. I always begin with the kids. And then I look at the adults, and I see some of them hanging in the back going, I hope he doesn't ask me to come up there. I hope he doesn't say my name. I hope he doesn't go, Debbie, come on, we're going to wash your feet. And so I've, I secretly go around to other adults before we even do this and go, I don't really care what you want, but you need to set an example, so you're going to have your feet washed. Sarah is normally one of these people that I, and she has no problem having her feet washed. But many people, when you take your shoes off and you take those socks off, you got all those little sock like boogers or whatever, and some of us have some nasty toenails. You really should get that fixed before you have a feet wash. However, the Lord looks at it and says, you're beautiful. And I think one of the messages in the scripture text today is to really have us dig into our identity and ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do we believe that the Lord really looks at us and says, you're beautiful and precious, and I want you? This is the lesson that Jesus was teaching his disciples. 
He was looking at each of them, and remember one of them, Judas, even though his actions he knew were to betray him, he looked at Judas and he still said, I love you. Verse 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. He will love you to the very end. He wanted his disciples to know that as well. That this wasn't just a passing time. This wasn't something that was this great experience and then Jesus would leave and his love would leave with him. But he would continue to love them. Even Judas, the one who would sell him out, stab him in the back, say that he didn't need him, go another way. So what allowed Jesus to love? Now you can go to your churchy answer. What's the churchy answer? He's God. Come on, why are we talking about Jesus again? Because we can't meet his standard. And yet the curious thing is, is that Jesus actually asks us to meet that standard. So it's not just that he was God that he could love. There was something else. I think he knew who he was. He knew his identity. He was not confused about who he was. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew his status. He knew his significance. He knew that he had been given complete power and authority from his father to accomplish everything he was sent to do. He knew his status. He knew his significance. He knew he was king here on earth and in heaven. He had nothing to prove, but everything to give. Because he knew this, he was able to step down into a position of a slave. Because that's who washed feet. And say, I have nothing to prove to you guys. Not even to Judas. And when I was reading this, I was thinking, man, if I was... Jesus, I'd be going, well, and of course Jesus can see more. Now he might have put that aside, so maybe he couldn't see the whole picture of Judas. So let's just imagine that he couldn't. Maybe he pushed that knowledge aside for that moment. And he looked at Judas, and if I was him, I'd be like, well, how can I change his direction? I know he's going to betray me, so maybe if I do this, he won't do that. But see, that wasn't the character of Jesus. Because my character would be, how can I get Judas to love me? Jesus just simply invited them to love him by first loving them, regardless of how they responded to him. So what allowed him to love 
As the story continues in verse 1, it says, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and and would return to God. Not only did he know who he was, but because he knew his identity, he wasn't threatened by things from the outside or things from the inside. So what do I mean by that? Things for the outside. He wasn't threatened that he had a, a person who was ready to betray him in his presence. Now, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. We're going to have a meal. Many of you are going to host or you're going to go somewhere. It's just what we do, right? How many of you are comfortable to sit at a table when someone is going to betray you? How many of you will even invite someone who's going to betray you to the table? But this is what Jesus did. He wasn't threatened from the things from the outside. He wasn't threatened from the opinions of the disciples who would go, why the heck did he let Judas in there? Why didn't he just let us know that he was going to betray him and we would have taken care of Judas? We would have taken him outside. Right? I mean, that's how we think. We think, I'll fix it. I'll just fix it. But Jesus wasn't there to fix it. He was there to love. And by loving, he would fix it. So he wasn't threatened from the things from the outside. Many of our things from the outside would be our friends who are teetering out of our friendship or our family. You all have someone in your family, I'm sure, that has hurt you deeply. In fact, I was sharing a story about my uncle, and I can, I can share this because they won't hopefully view this. He's turning 80. My dad turned 80 a couple years ago. And this same uncle is my uncle who just lost a daughter just a few weeks ago to cancer. So they've all been together about a month ago or so for the funeral of Debbie. But Debbie has three other sisters. And they're celebrating this birthday in Custer, South Dakota. That's, I don't, I always say I'm from Nebraska, but I did live a short time in South Dakota. Truth comes out today. So my family is all up in that Black Hills area of South Dakota. One of his daughters lives in Gillette, Wyoming, which is only about an hour away from Custer, South Dakota. Another one lives in Montana, and when you're in Texas and you think Montana, you think, ooh, that's far away away. But it's not that far from the Black Hills. It's about four hours or so. And my parents are traveling, which I give thanks today that my dad at 82 is able to travel. They're going to be coming down here for Christmas. And so he's traveling up there with my mom. They should be coming back probably today after celebrating my uncle's birthday. And my mom said, well, who's all coming? And my aunt said, well, Sherry. And Sherry's my cousin who lives in Custer. She's one of his daughters. And my mom said, what about the other two? And 
my Aunt Joanne said, I don't know. See, the problem was is that one of the things in my family is that we hold grudges. Do any of you have some family members that do that? And it really makes an obstacle for you to love. So Jeannie, my, one of his other daughters, my cousin, something happened. No one knows what's happened. But she got mad at her dad and her mom. And the first time they had seen her in almost 10 years was at Debbie's funeral. And she lives just an hour away. But because of whatever it was, she made that huge thing that this is so big, even though no one knows what it is, this is so big that I don't even think I'm going to come to my dad's 80th birthday after he lost his daughter a month ago. My mom said, they're not coming? My Aunt Joanne said, well, you'd think they would. But there are so many things that we put as an obstacle before us to love someone. It could be so easy for us to step into the freedom and say, whatever they did to me is not greater than the love that Christ has for me. And because of that, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love him. So he wasn't threatened from the things from the outside or from the inside. Many of us walk around and we have a view of ourselves, and we believe the lies that Satan tells us. We believe that we're unworthy or we're ashamed or we're scared or we're full of sin, unredeemable. We think sometimes that we're just a mistake. No one wants to say that out loud, but I've talked with many of you, and though you may not say, I feel like I was a mistake, your words are describing someone who thinks that they were a mistake. But for Jesus, he knew his inside. He knew that the Lord had said, you're my son, in whom I'm well pleased. What Jesus wants you to know as well is that those same words that applied to him because of his death and resurrection now apply to you. So how was he allowed to love he put the threats from the outside, outside. He didn't allow them to affect him. He put the threats that were from the inside. And boy, Satan tried every way to threaten that inside of Jesus. Forty days in the desert, attacking the identity of Jesus. Jesus put those on the outside. He said, no, I'm going to hold on to the truth. The truth that the Father in heaven loves me, the truth that he sent me for a mission, the truth that I am the king who's come to die so that my brothers and my sisters can live. He held on to those things. Because his identity was secure, he had great freedom. 
In fact, it talks about this in Philippians. Though he was God, this is Philippians chapter 2, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus had complete freedom to operate as a king, but because he was a king, he was able to step down, take his robe off, and go to the ones that he loved and say, let me serve you. Even though I shouldn't be the one serving you, I have freedom to now serve you. Verse 4, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So what would your life look like if you knew your status, your significance, and security? What would your life look like if you knew your status, your significance to the Father in heaven, and your security? Your status as a prince or princess of the kingdom of God. What if you woke up each day and you said, I am a prince. Some of you guys are like, there's no way I'll ever do that. <laughs> well, let your wife call you a prince, and you'll still be like, no, that's not so cool. What if some of you ladies would wake up and you'd look in the mirror and you'd say, I'm a princess of God. I've been given a status that I don't deserve, but he has put it upon me because I'm in his kingdom. What if you looked at your significance and you said in the morning, you got up and you said, I am a child of God. I am a wanted, not a mistake, not an oops, but I am a wanted child of God, completely. What if you look at your security and said, not only my prince, not only my child, but he's given me all authority. All authority in this world to exercise his love. I believe if you knew your status, your significance, and your security, perhaps you would be able to invite the person who is your enemy to the table. Perhaps you would be able to stop fearing and freezing in that fear and not doing the things that God has asked you to do. Perhaps you'd be able to take that invitation and say, I can walk freely because of the one who freed me. So don't allow fear to freeze you from doing what you have been free to do. Don't allow fear to freeze you. Have you ever felt that way? Frozen? Because you're fearful of the things on the outside. What will they think? What will they say? What will they do? Or you're fearful of the things on the inside? I'm not good enough. 
What if they don't say yes? I don't have the right words. I haven't read enough of the Bible. I'm not really a good person. If people knew what was going on in here, ooh, they wouldn't see Jesus. Hmm. Don't allow fear to freeze you from doing what the Lord has freed you to do. To love one another. Paul says it this way in Galatians. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. You are called. You are cleansed. You are children of God. You're called not because God looked at what you did and said, oh, I need you on my team. You're called because he gave you an invitation exactly how you are right now and said, will you be on my team? Will you be on my team? This, the Lord himself of the universe is saying, hey, Art, will you be on my team? He hasn't looked at your record. He hasn't looked at anything. All he does is he looks at you and he goes, hey, will you be on my team? Do you remember elementary school days when you had to pick teams? And it was this uh, activity that you sucked at. And you would, you'd hang out there like this. For me, it was basketball. I'd be like, there's no way they're going to choose me. If they did, it's because they don't know me. And if I was at a new thing, like at some camp or something, and we're doing basketball teams, because I was tall, they would want to choose me. And I'd be like, oh, no, don't choose me. <laughs> You're going to be so disappointed. The ball's going to hit my face. Something's going to happen. I'm not going to pass to the right person. Something's going to happen. But God looks at you and he goes, yes, I want you. Here's the invitation. And when you receive that invitation, you are called. You're on the all-stars right away. You're not, you don't have to try out. You don't have to do anything. He just says, you're on the all-stars. Come on. We've got something major to do, and what it is is to go save the world. Everything that I made that is so precious, I'm now calling you to help me save it. You're on my team. You didn't cleanse yourself. It's not like you go and you get ready for an interview where you 
You do a bunch of things. In fact, we laugh about this. We, Jason shared a picture on Facebook that we've been working together for almost 10 years. The first time I met this guy, he didn't have a beard then. And his hair was trimmed real short. In fact, if you look at wedding photos, he looked more like that. He came in all clean cut, had long sleeves, went in for this interview with the church. And these old ladies were like, oh, he's so cute, you know. And da -da -da. We want him as our youth minister. And so they called him, and then when he came in, he had some tattoos, he had some earrings. His hair was starting to grow out. And they're like, who did we call? <laughs> well, what God does is he says, you don't have to go cleanse yourself for me to call you. I've cleansed you. I don't care what's going on in the inside if you think you're dirty and insignificant and full of shame. I've called you. I've cleansed you. You're clean because of me, because of what I've done. And because of that, you are valuable for everyone to look at and say, that's what someone in the kingdom of God looks like. Because they've been cleansed. You didn't adopt yourself. You can't adopt yourself. That's the beautiful thing about adoption. A person can't go and adopt themselves. They have to wait till someone says, I want you. I think some of the most beautiful adoptions are those of older children who end up in a house, and after a few years, that family says, we really want to adopt you. We know that you're almost 18, but would you take on our family name? Because we want you. We know for the past 18 years, no one has ever said, we want you, but we want you to go into this world as an adult knowing that there's a family who says, we want you. That's what God says to us. Whether you are adopted as a child, as a baby through baptism, or you're 60 years old and this is the first time that you've seen Jesus and you go, Jesus, I want to follow you. He looks at you and he goes, I want you. This is what he was telling his disciples. You're called. Because I've called you my disciples. You're cleansed. Because I'm going to wash your feet. You are my children. You are a part of my family. So what would it look like if we woke up each morning and we said, I am called? Go ahead and say it. I am, called. I am cleansed. I am, I am God's child. I am God. Now, what if you did a little sticky note and you just wrote those things down? I am called. I am cleansed. I am God's child. And he looked at that each day. Just to remind you of your identity. Because remember, when you know your identity, you become free to love. Now think about that dinner again. 
Last week, we went through an election, and our country's still going through turmoil. Some of you would say, I would never invite Hillary Clinton to my table. And others would say, there's no way I'd let Donald Trump in my house. But if you know your identity, if you know that you're called, if you know that you're cleansed, if you know you're God's child, you can invite whoever you want. You can invite whoever, in fact, let's change that, God wants. Because you're wanted. Now, what would Thanksgiving look like if we did that? Who's ready to take that challenge? Awesome. There's one. There's two. There's three. It's coming. Peer pressure. Keep it going. And I'm being serious. Because in our country today, we have such a conflict that if someone doesn't share your ideas, if someone is just a little bit different than you, if someone you look at and you go, I think I'm better than them, or more intelligent than them, or I don't think they come because they have a better job or better status, what would happen if we said, wait a minute, We've all been given a great status. We've been given... a great status in the kingdom of God. Because he said so. Not because of us. I pray that you would go ahead and invite and think about those people and be ready to have that invitation rejected. Because not everyone is ready for the invitation that the Lord gives. And when you do it out of freedom, when you're rejected, you can walk away with joy. Let's take a look at what it looks like to start this discipline of serving. Of thinking about your everyday life and saying, how can I begin to live in this freedom that Jesus exemplified in washing the feet of the disciples. I wouldn't suggest that you go out and you start asking people, can I wash your feet? But the video is going to show you some practical, everyday examples of what life could look like if we lived in this freedom. Let's take a look. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be as simple as Jesus made it out to be taking out a basin, pouring some water, doing something that was an everyday activity. He made it extraordinary because he took a position of a servant when everyone looked at him as a rabbi. What can you do in your life that would allow the love of Jesus to show through you? Because you know that you're called, that you're cleansed, that you're a child of God. In the barista's life, in your school, in your kids' school, and the teachers and the people that you engage with each day, in the businesses that you work in, how can you take a step down from where you are and tell someone, I'm going to serve you and love you, not because I'm special, but because God has called me to be.
And I want you to enjoy that same status so that fear will be exterminated from your life and freedom will come into it. John wrote another letter, 1 John, and he says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen him with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Whatever fear you walked in here with today, may the love of Christ replace it and allow your love to grow more perfectly. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. May we be a family who loves one another, who seeks out ways to lift each other up, who's patient with each other. Some people, they're hard to love, right? Or maybe it's just me. Sometimes I would rather just write that person off and just say, okay, and go on with my life. But what God is inviting us into is have patience, just as that lady listened to that lady tell her over and over and over and over again. What a beautiful example of love. Sometimes we have to listen over and over and over again to the doubts that people have, to the fears that people have, to the things that they won't let go of, to the decisions they keep making. And we stand there, not threatened by the things on the outside or the things going on in the inside because we know our status, we know our significance, and we know our security. We know that we are called, we know that we are cleansed, and we know that we're a child of God. May we live in that truth. May we live in that love. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need to love one another. Remind us that you're helping us grow in that love. That we can't do it perfectly. But because of your great love, you look over our imperfection of loving others and you invite us to try again. So during this season, Lord, as we prepare for the celebration of your son coming into this world, into flesh, may you prepare our hearts to love even more, to put aside differences, to stand firm with you, even when the person we're standing firm with is so shaky. Help us to love them. Help our eyes to love them, our words to love them, our actions to love them, so that they may experience you. In your name we pray. Amen.